With that in mind, let's rest in the Lord for a moment and pray together. Lord God, speak to our hearts now as we rest in you. Wrestle with our hearts today the things that you need to speak to us, to encourage us, to transform us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Correct us and move us to obedience, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles or the Pew Bible? I believe the numbers are going to be on the board. If not, they're on the white sheet in the bulletin, the white insert, the outline. Follow along, please, as I read from 2 Timothy. And I'm going to be reading a bunch of verses, so stay alert. Beginning at verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace among those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to do his will. May God add his blessing to his word for our hearts today. Paul wrote to Timothy in verse 14. He says, keep reminding them of these things. You know who them is? <laughs> it's always them, isn't it? Those people, them. But he's talking about them, those people that Paul had written to him early about, to the reliable men in, in Timothy's case that he was supposed to pass uh, God's truth to and pass the faith on to, to reliable men who would pass it on to other reliable men. So he's re telling him, remind them of these things. And of course, the them, and who are these things? Well, it's probably everything he's written, at least earlier in verses 1 through 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and maybe all of the chapter 1 as well. What are some of those things? Because you guys remember them all from the last several weeks, right? Yeah, I knew that would get a chuckle at least. Remind them, Timothy, that you were called. 
and that they were called by God before the world ever began to be Christ's children. So guard that message, guard the gospel, and don't be ashamed to tell about the gospel because it's the only gospel that can change people's hearts and bring them back to life with God and give them life in Christ. So don't be ashamed of it. Be strong in the grace, 2 Timothy verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And last week I took a little bit of extra time to talk about what it means to be in Christ. It means to be unified with Christ. And you get connected with Christ by believing that he's the Savior, the promised one, the anointed one that God had talked about through all the scriptures leading up to the time that Paul was writing to Timothy, the Old Testament. United to Christ, he paid our debt so that our wicked ways would be forgotten and removed from us and he would cleanse us and make us pure and give us new life in Christ. And I could go on and on, but I need to stop. But he says, remind them of these things, Timothy. So be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus because without being in Christ, we cannot serve Christ well. And because of God's goodness, the good things he gives us, we have his grace we can endure like a good soldier appropriate for Memorial Day, the hardships that soldiers go through. We can be a good athlete that plays by the rules and trains hard. We can live our lives for Christ like a soldier, like an athlete, and like a faithful, patient, hardworking farmer. And if you've never farmed, I only watched it. That's why I'm not a farmer. It's hard work. It never stops, it never ends, but there's rewards. So endure, because if we remember Christ and who he is, we'll be willing to endure all things because we will reign with him. So be strong in the grace that God's given you, Timothy. It shouldn't surprise us that Paul and we haven't had time to really do it, but if you were to compare 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy, and let's throw Titus in there as well because they're known together as the pastoral epistles, that, that there's these repeated themes, and it shouldn't re, re, surprise us that Paul repeats because these are his last words to Timothy. He's about to die for the faith, and he's reminding Timothy of things he's told him before, because these are his last words, final words, and he wanted Timothy to stay true, to serve Jesus well until the end of his life. And that's why 2 Timothy is a good study for you and me. Because we need to know these essential truths that Paul was reminding Timothy about, one of his his co-workers, but there were other workers I'm sure Paul said the same things to, and God had wisdom, and his wisdom had Paul write them to Timothy, but God knew he would be writing them to you and me. So we need to understand and know these things, because do you know what's ahead for you in life? I don't have a clue. I have my dreams about what it should look like, but God knows what's ahead, so he wants us to know these things so that we will stand firm in the faith holding on to Christ while passing on the good news to those around us. I need to get rolling, right? That's all introduction, sorry. Pursuing God's ways as an approved worker. We talked about this some last week, but there's always more to say. Things approved workers do. They remind others of essential truths. 
Remind them, Timothy, of the important stuff. God's reminding us of what's important. And they cut straight. They handle the word of God correctly. They cut a straight path so that others can find that path and follow it to Christ and his gospel, his salvation, the hope of eternal life so that they understand God's good news and the plans he has for people and the new kingdom to come. What approved workers avoid, they avoid being quarrelsome. It ruins listeners. They shun godless chatter because it leads to more ungodliness. One thing Paul was saying is that words are, he wasn't saying words aren't important. Did I say that right? Two negatives make a positive. Words are important. So we, gotta, we need to argue about words, but being quarrelsome displays an attitude. It displays an attitude that you want to get in the last word, that you want to win the argument, that you, have to, you want to be the winner on top. You might lose the person, but you win the argument. And what Paul's saying is don't be quarrelsome, but argue in such a way that you don't disengage people, but you engage them in the conversation. Talk about things in a way that they will want to keep discussing it, pondering it, not be turned off and go away. As best as you can, don't be quarrelsome. Words are important because Paul told Timothy to carefully guard the good news of Christ, the gospel, we call it, to be able to tell it clearly to others. But avoid the attitude. I talked about it last week. I'll read it again in Colossians chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Why? Because prayer means that we're being dependent. It shows humility that we understand that we need God's help continually. So devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message. Do you feel like the gospel's door is being closed where you live? Well, don't believe that's true. Because the gospel will always be rescuing and saving. The truth of God has power to save. So regularly pray that the message that goes out from your life and my life, together here, when we gather, when we scatter, will be effective. Pray for that continually. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Here's what I wanted to get to. Be wise in the way you act toward outside. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Wow. They've been talking about that in ABF a lot. So proclaim it clearly, but avoid or shun godless chatter and the people who do it. One commentator put it this way, but to the irreligious and the frivolous hair splittings give a wide berth. Watch out for their half-truths, their outright lies, because it spreads like gangrene. And we all know where gangrene goes. It kills, and it has to be removed, or it spreads and brings death. So avoid it. Give it a wide berth. Philetuson, yeah, what was that guy's name, the H guy? <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Hymenius. I was thinking of Hermogenes, but he's somebody else. Hymenius. They've wandered away from the truth because they're teaching that the resurrection has already taken place. And just real quickly, they were probably teaching that the resurrection wasn't an actual bodily resurrection, but just a spiritual thing. And that would really ruin people's faith. And Paul laid out clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you're interested in reading about what the real resurrection body looks like. And I can just tell you it looks like Jesus' resurrected body. It's glorious. It eats food. It walks through walls. Might be pretty amazing, whatever it is. So that's what that was. But to move on, give people who teach false things or are quarrelsome and always arguing about little details that aren't as important. Steer clear of them. Made me think a picture in my mind came back from my childhood. I had literally hundreds of acres as my playground as a child. I think it's nicer than it really was in my mind now, years later, but because I happened to know the people who owned the land. So my playground was acres and acres of pastures, lakes, or ponds, creeks, and forests. Ideal for a young boy. And I remember walking through the woods, and in springtime, the wild crab apple tree blossoms and the may apples were so thick, the aroma was so beautiful. And then as my friends and I would be exploring the woods or whatever imaginative games we were playing, there would be the stench of a dead carcass of an animal, whether it be a deer or a groundhog or I won't go into details. But we would give that carcass <laughs> a wide berth. We would go around it upwind, hopefully, if we could figure it out, hold our noses and run by. And that's what Paul's saying here. Give this stuff a wide berth in your life. Don't be a part of it because it brings death. Watch out for false teachers and steer others, clear them as well. Give them a wide berth. Can I just say, watch out for people who claim to have special insights that even the apostles didn't have. Because if they're building themselves up like that, then you have to be really careful of what they're saying. Because Jesus did not approach people that way, even though he did know it all. He came humbly and gently is not to put out a smoldering wick or to break a reed. The only people he got nasty with, if you can put it that way, was what the people who thought they were righteous and holy, the religious people. So as a worker for Christ, present the word of God accurately in how you live, in your attitude, how you speak, what's your words, and how you teach so that you won't be ashamed as you present your body, your work, your body, your life before God. Comforting assurance, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. God's solid foundation is God himself and his word and his truth. And they go together like this because who God is and what he says and what he speaks are just 
all solid and they'll never change. So know that God's solid foundation stands. It might seem, Timothy, that the church is falling apart. There's these false teachers going out. I'm in prison. Everything seems to be going downhill, but know that the Lord knows who are, who, those who are his. How do you know if someone's a true teacher or a false teacher? The Lord knows, and that Greek word know, gnosko there, the root word for it, is the kind of knowledge that comes from being in a close, active relationship with someone. So we know who's true and who's false over time. And God's known us before the beginning of time, and he's never stopped walking with you even before you were born. He knew you. That's too much for me to comprehend. But understand, he knows who are his, those who are his because he's walking next to you. And he knows what's on your heart, even when you mess up and fail. He's still walking with you. He knows you, that you are his. He knows your heart because he's in an active relationship. It's not a Snapchat relationship. It's not a Facebook relationship. It's not these scattered photographs that make life look so good. He knows you. Take great comfort in that. Do not fear that God's solid foundation will ever fall apart. Hell will not prevail against you, child of God, or his people. Let's move on to point two, though. Pursue God's ways as an approved worker, someone that's living life well, but secondly, pursue God's ways as a noble vessel. In a large house, verse 20, there are articles that not only are of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some are for noble purposes and some for not-so-noble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. So what's Paul telling us? Become useful. More useful. Look at your life and watch what you're doing. True disciples will be making progress away from wickedness toward Holiness, through God's grace, through his power, through his might, that enables us to be noble vessels. Can I repeat these words again? Humility, mercy, justice, raising up the lowly. Those are the things that Christ did. Those are the things noble vessels do. And then he goes on in verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace among those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So I was thinking about the, the evil desires of youth. Notice it doesn't say that it's only a problem for youth. It's a problem for everyone. We just should be putting those foolish things aside, and I guess Paul assumes that we know what those evil desires are because he doesn't lay them out for us. But he says, flee them continually. That's the, that's the grammar context, present tense. It's a continual action. So be letting go of what? Pride. Remember when you said, I know what I'm doing when you were 18? And how you discovered when you were in your early 20s that you were wrong? <laughs> the pursuit of temporary things. Fame, fortune, power, pleasure, and comfort at the expense of anybody else's well-being. 
the me, myself, my, and I attitude that the universe revolves around me and my plans, please get out of my way. And you know what? It isn't just this present generation's issue. It's been through the ages, ever since the garden, me, myself, and I. When we turned away from God, it's not a new problem. But in Christ, we're to flee this and pursue regularly a present imperative. So another continual action, pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And never do it alone. Do it along with others who have the same heart. I thought Paul said in Romans chapter 3 that no one had a pure heart. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And he doesn't stop there, but I will. And he goes on to describe how terrible humanity is. Every one of us, Jew and Gentile, is his point. Therefore, though, in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that means declared right through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Pure, a gift of grace. There's an irony. How do you have a pure heart when we're not pure? John wrote this in his first letter in verse chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the covering sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God's adopted you as his child. And he's made you pure. But then I did something that was impure this week. And Paul says, only hang out with people who have pure hearts, but none of us have pure hearts. But the irony is that if we confess our sins, that shows that we have purified hearts. Isn't that interesting? The more I confess that I'm impure, I'm actually progressing toward purity because I have the mind of God. That's a relief for believers, but it also inspires us to pursue Holiness, because we are pure, so we can be pure by God's goodness and grace. And if we're not confessing sins, then what are we telling God? I have nothing I need to confess? Or am I so far away from you that I don't know you at all? Because those who know him pursue righteousness and confess when they fail. It's vital that we examine ourselves. So we need to be pursuing God as a approved worker, as a noble vessel, and pursuing God's ways as the Lord's 
servant. Back to 2 Timothy. Flee, excuse me, verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. How many times has he mentioned quarrel in this passage? You can look that up later. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Things to put away, he repeats these things again and again in that strong language, stupid arguments. Attitudes and actions to chase after, be kind to everyone. Do you have a, I don't have to be kind to them list? You might not have an actual list, but in the back of your mind you have one. Because they don't treat me nice, I don't have to treat them nice. But Paul, just ponder what Paul says here. This Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful, craving what other people have, gently instructs those who oppose him with the hope that they'll repent. To escape the lies, because we forget sometimes that lost people are believing a lie and they need rescued, so we need to gently instruct them and and warn them and, and be patient with them because they don't understand that that's where they are. I want to go back to verse 19 real quickly. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. I don't believe it's an accident that Paul quoted that verse, and that's from Numbers chapter 16 in our Bibles. And it takes us back to a a picture because he's talking about false teachers and people who quarreled, and in the context it fits perfectly because it's talking about Korah's rebellion. If you've never read that story, we're going to take a minute to look at it together today. You'll never forget it. And, And if you have heard the story, I'm sure you're aware of it, and you just maybe forgot where it was. But it's in Numbers chapter 16, so I encourage you to turn back there because it instructs us of the dangers of quarreling and associating with people who are are finding fault or teaching or saying false things about other people. And it illustrates for shepherds and for sheep alike how to live life together. Numbers chapter 16. Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed as members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them and the Lord, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. 
Then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him. There's our connecting quote with 2 Timothy. The Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too? It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? I'll stop there real quickly, but here we go. Three different factions. Korah, a Levite, who was upset because Aaron, a fellow Levite, had been given a higher station than him, called by God to be the priest and his family alone. He was envious, resentful. The Reubenites came because Reuben was an older brother to Levi, so why is an older brother's tribe underneath the Levites? So they had gripes against Aaron, the Levite, because they're Reubenites. An older brother was older than Levi. He should have a higher position. And the 250 men, probably from all the tribes, but they liked what Korah and the Reubenite guys were saying. So they went along with it because, and you know what? They were right. All the people of Israel were holy to God. They were set apart, and the Lord was near them all, but they were wrong in saying that God's, God loves order. Didn't put some people in other positions to lead and to guide. So they had this gripe, and, and they really wanted to, they said they wanted everyone to be equal and do away with leadership, but you know what the truth was? They wanted to be the leaders. They didn't want to get rid of leadership. They wanted to be in leadership. They wanted the power, the control, and the prestige, whatever came with it. And, and Moses' argument was, you've gone too far. Who was Aaron? Aaron didn't pick this. And they were accusing Moses and Aaron of taking it. Moses didn't want to be the leader of Israel. Exodus 3 and 4, he argued vehemently, send somebody else, please. They were just doing what God had called them to do. Watch out for people like this. Moses was a good pastor. He was a good leader. He confronted them. He instructed them. He was warning Korah that this was going to end badly. He warned the Reubenites. He went to their tent. He invited them to come out into dialogue with, with he and Aaron, and they refused it. They accused Moses of, failing, of taking them from a promised land of milk and honey, Egypt, and not getting them into the promised land. But it wasn't Moses' fault they weren't in the land. Numbers 14, by the way, comes before Numbers chapter 16, and that's where the Israelites refused to go into the promised land. It wasn't Moses' fault they weren't there, but they were accusing him of that, of not being a good leader. Foolish arguments, quarreling. But Moses and Aaron paid a pastoral visit. They refused their counsel. And we need to skip a bunch of verses. Look at verse 22. 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourself from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Verse 21. He was going to wipe out the whole community. And what did Moses and Aaron do? They prayed for the people who were opposing them and said, don't destroy everyone because of one man's sin. Takes us back to 2 Timothy. The Lord's servant must be kind to everyone, gentle in how they instruct and how they lead, careful to lead people so that they could repent and get away from the snare of the devil. Well, the Lord judges Korah. The ground opened up like Moses said it would and swallowed them alive. He and his family, all the children and all those who gone and the men who had the censers, the 250, got burned up by the Lord's fire. Look at verse 41, just as a reminder to us. The next day, and if I was going to preach in this chapter, this would be my title. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people. They just saw the ground open up and swallow those who would rebel. They just saw fire come out and consume 250 men who were rebelling against Moses and Aaron, they ran away, for the, away from their lives saying, the Lord's going to destroy us too. And then the very next day they came back and were complaining again against Moses and Aaron. No wonder that generation died in the wilderness. Let's not be like them. <laughs> Don't be hard-hearted. What did Moses and Aaron do as God began to send a plague among those people? They prayed for them. Aaron got his censer filled with incense and stood between the people who were dying and the people who were still alive, and over 14,000 people died. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26 is just a short description. The Lord's servant. And we're all to be the Lord's servant, striving to be that kind of leader so that we can be leaders of God's people, however God calls us. So when you select leaders, when we select leaders here, do it prayerfully and carefully. Don't take it lightly. And once they are our leaders, approach them in honorable ways. Well, I heard from X who was told by Y that Elder Z said or did. If they need advice, if they need counsel, if they need correcting, approach them the way you would a brother or sister that you love dearly. Aim to be a qualified leader yourself. We're commanded to strive toward it here in Timothy. Pray for them diligently. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read this. Pastors love this verse. Leaders, church leaders, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. It must be time for me to quit. <laughs> they keep watch over you as a man who must give an account as men who must give account, obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden 
for that would be of no advantage to you. In Psalm 106, we read this. By the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord. Meribah, by the way, means bitter. By the waters of bitterness, they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. You know why Moses didn't get to go into the promised land? Well, if it would have been me, I know what I would have been saying. (laughs) The only reason I can't go is because of you people. (laughs) No, it was Moses' issue. But we can understand why he got struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock after they rebelled, after the Korah, after the ground opened up, after time and time again. We don't want to do that to our leadership. We want to be like leaders. Pursue God's ways. You're the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. Pursue the things of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, help us to love and to serve you more, to follow your ways, to walk in your ways, to lift one another up and to serve together, not quarreling, not speaking ungodly things, but pursuing the things of Christ. Make us sharp cutters so others can see the way to Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.